name's Henry. By the way, my mom is working for Birth Monopoly. I have a secret that I can't tell anybody. What I know about Birth Monopoly is not very much. This is Birth Aloud Radio with Kristen Piscucci. This is part two of our conversation with Brittany, not her real name, a nurse in Southern California who witnessed what turned out to be a routine practice by a particular doctor, that of manually ripping women's vaginas in place of routine episiotomies, and what happened when she reported this incident as patient harm to her superiors. For part one, please listen to our previous episode with Nurse Brittany. I just want to make a point about the episiotomy rate. I want to say the leapfrog group, I think, has maybe like a a 5% target rate. So we're talking about somebody with a 90%, you know, that something's going on there. And again, 90 isn't necessarily what he had. And leapfrog is a private institution. I do want to point out that hospitals have to kind of put a lot of effort into providing documentation with. There's other ones that are based on insurance. I do know, I think Blue Cross or Blue Shield has a blue cross distinction where you have to have a lower than 15%. There's a few others. So it, you know, yeah. and it's monetary, it's monetary based. It's a selling point to have a low episiotomy rate. Of course, we don't want to be cut open unnecessarily. <laughs> so, who knew? But if we, you know, if we attach a monetary or like an insurance distinction to it, there's an additional incentive for institutions to have a lower episiotomy rate. I want to hear about your your exit interview, because, you know, ultimately you decided that you needed to work somewhere else, that this was not going to be the best place for you. And that they probably thought that too, (laughs) considering the fact that they just put you right back on probation. And, you know, you, you know, and I hope I'm not speaking for you by saying that you felt really unsupported and discouraged when after you'd report that reported that. Um, I did. I was looking for an, (laughs) less assaultive place. I don't think I'm asking for much. I probably would have considered staying except, you know, there were other factors as far as commuting and my family where I just didn't feel that it was worth it to stay to correct these things that I could continue to report and follow up while I work in a healthier environment. It was traumatizing to continue to work with this provider and be afraid every single time that this was going to happen again. Ironically, they weren't happy to see me go. I mean, maybe one or two people were, you know, that I was making things hard for. But even that provider maybe didn't know that I was the one reporting. He always seemed to like me, thought I had good ideas, you know, still practiced in the way he wanted to. There were several people, including some supervisors, that were very sad to see me go um, that felt that my presence would have been beneficial for the for the unit and the facility. So but in, you, got a, you got a chance to explain why. I did, and they were so supportive. They understood. My mental health is important too, and my family's health also. In leaving uh, this particular institution, as do many, perform exit interviews. Ironically, I had been warned by another nurse who left from another unit, but still women's health, to make sure I conducted my exit interview after I was already gone, which I found interesting. She felt that she had experienced some backlash. Apparently some of this exit interview information does go directly back to the unit pretty quickly. Uh, And she felt that she'd experienced some lateral violence as she finished out her two weeks. That's the second time we've heard that term. And just in case anybody's not sure what lateral violence is, it can be termed incivility. 
in the workplace, especially among nurses. It's specific to nurses. We call it sometimes workplace aggression or bullying or incivility. And it is something that happens among people who are on the same level within a hierarchy where they are toward the bottom. They all as a group are more towards the bottom. Um, thank you for clarifying that. And, and thank you for stopping me each time I use a, a term that you know, I, I, I need to remember the audience. In this case, I, I followed her advice and conducted my exit interview sometime after I had already left the facility. Ironically, you know, I kind of played phone tag for about a week. The, this facility contracts out uh, to another company that performs the exit interviews and asks some very, just some very basic questions. Why did you leave? You know, how did you find your colleagues supportive, your unit culture? Lots of questions specific to, like the mission and values of this facility. Were there any ethical concerns <laughs> or fraud that you witnessed? Funny you ask. Yes. At this um, point, I felt, you know, I was already working my new job. I felt safe enough to be extremely honest. So again, after a phone tag for about a week, trying to, you know, them trying, I was trying to arrange a time to do this because it does take a little bit of time. I finally sat down and um, spoke on the phone with a woman who conducted my exit interview. And again, I was very honest. I discussed my ethical concerns. And I, and I also was honest about a lot of the, the good support that I did receive. There was a lot of good knowledge. There are a lot of good nurses there, good provider, some good provider practices, you know, in the context of OB care. So it wasn't like just this bashing session, but I did delve deeply into this incident without, again, violating any HIPAA. And I did make sure to point out in this interview that not only is this assault, uh, this patient hasn't consented to this, this is not a medical procedure, this, this isn't a thing, this isn't something that we do or that should be done. Go ahead. Can I just interrupt you for two seconds? Yeah. It's just funny you say that because um, I've, I have a, a video course that I do about legal and human rights and childbirth and it's, it's mostly for birth professionals like doulas and nurses. I've been updating the materials and just yesterday I was kind of like re-listening to it and, you know, working on some stuff. And I noticed that I said in one area where there is not consent, there is assault. And I think we need to, we need to like zoom out from maternity care and remember that this is just like a real basic concept people. And if we can understand this in the context of sexual assault, we should be able to understand it in the context of assault that happens to take place in, in medical care. We do it all the time on other units. Patients in med surge don't have things done to them without their consent. Women in labor are still competent adults. You know, I mean, if you're going natural and maybe towards transition, we get a little irrational, but that's part of it too. <laughs> And, you know, and a, and a provider and a nurse is going to walk you through that and hold your hand and not exploit it to sacrifice quality, safe care for convenience and hurrying this birth process along. The WHO actually just put out a whole study. Let's uh, basically stop expediting birth. There's no need. It's causing more harm than good. Yeah. Um, so kind of going, going back to, uh, yes, it, it was assault. This woman, you know, again, this is a contractor company. She's not a, in the, she's not a medical professional and she actually shared with me, she didn't have kids. So not very, you know, knowledgeable about birth or childbirth, like many of us, <laughs> like many of us, um, unfortunately. And she, what do you mean assault? And um, 
you know, and of course I was going to describe it anyway. So we went very in depth um, into the action, what it was, what it was not. And also I want to point out that I was very clear when I had this interview that it is assault and it is fraud. Telling a patient or not telling them that this was, you know, telling them that this was a natural laceration or not telling that this was done at all is fraud. You know, this, especially in our for-profit healthcare system, if this woman has any complications from this quote unquote procedure, which is not a procedure, she, you know, infection, pelvic floor issues, incontinence, uh, sexual dysfunction, um, pain, vaginal, you know, just, oh my gosh, anything, complications from the stitching that occurred because of the laceration, who knows whether she would have emerged from this birth intact. Women do, and you know, especially, you know, she hadn't had an epidural, she was feeling everything, she was progressing well, stretching well, but again, who knows? Her birth experience was altered by this decision so there's no way to know. And so she was, I, I feel like she was robbed. And fraud is and committed in the documentation as well. If it's not documented as a episiotomy, it's not documented as a manual laceration, if you wanted to try and describe it. In my case, <laughs> there, you know, there's a lot of charting and nursing. If you've ever had any sort of care, you probably see your nurse at the computer a lot. Uh, if you see your nurse, maybe she's charting at the station, or he, sorry. And I was directed not to document it as a manual laceration when I was charting and I refused to alter my charting uh, because that's what I had seen. And, you know, if I have ever taken into court over this, I have to be able to back up my documentation all the time. So I have to document what I see. So they're asking you to commit fraud is, is what you're saying. I was asked to commit fraud and then the doctor actually did commit fraud. Um, You know, there is a delivery record. There is a, dictation of every delivery usually and the delivery record will say second degree laceration or third degree laceration not manual laceration or um (laughs) i ripped this woman open um yeah i I want to hide behind the clinical terms because that's what happened is uh, she was ripped open so i talked all this through uh with the interviewer well, and sorry, and not to mention that, you know, all those things that you mentioned, those possible consequences of having a complication visited upon you, you as the woman living with that afterwards would be financially responsible for anything that came out of that. So like the treatment, you know, you exactly. mentioned. Or- Co-pays, deductibles. I mean, um, yeah. So I thank you for clarifying. Yes. Um, that was my point of saying, you know, in this, in our healthcare system unique here, she's going to be financially liable for anything related to what happened to her, you know, and she's one of the ones that was told what happened, um, you know, and again, I was directed not to even tell the patient what had happened, that it wasn't my scope, that it wasn't my place, how many other women, you know, has this happened to at that facility or the other facilities that this provider practices at and has privileges at that have no idea. I think that that's important to mention also, and I mentioned this in the interview as well, that it was pretty common knowledge on the unit again, that this provider was directed to reduce the episiotomy rate. And um, for the period of one year, actually had no episiotomies recorded, but the second and third degree laceration rate went up, was skyrocketed. So, you know, it's not <laughs> very safe always to make assumptions, but what, what else could be happening if he's not performing episiotomies? Um, you know, and I witnessed this and other nurses have witnessed this. How many, how many women have been ripped open? 
and don't know. And um, that's where it's difficult too to kind of talk about this. And, and that's why I was so careful in speaking with this particular woman about what had happened. It was clear at that point, she did not feel like a victim. I did not want to victimize her. Um, this coming out, you know, if this comes out who this provider is or what this facility is, how many women, how many women may be like traumatized by even questioning, well, is that what happened to me? Or did yeah. I just care? The fallout from this is very unpredictable. And I think that's where nurses are. It's a mess. I think and- you raise a, you raise a really, I mean, that is a really thorny kind of ethical question. It's true. I, I would say that. Would they agree with me? <laughs> You know, I would say that, you know, kind of one of our cultural problems, that kind of one of the things that allows things like this to happen is the perception that like you described some of those nurses saying like, well, it's going to happen anyway. Like basically yeah. childbirth is so physically traumatic already. Like what's the point of trying to minimize the trauma? And to me, that's a false. It's harmful. That's harmful to women. That's that's harmful to women to think childbirth is inherently traumatic. It's inevitably traumatic. And I have to go through that nightmare in order to have a baby that there's there's no, you know, it's totally unpredictable. It's totally traumatic. It's totally awful. It's totally scary and it's terrifying. And that's just what it is. Um, That in itself, I think, is a problem. It is. And, um, go, sorry, go ahead. No, I was, you know, I'm just going to say because, you know, what you're talking about is just one example of something that like I, I and others, you know, and you as well, you know, this kind of ethical question about how truthful are we with women about what's happened to them when they don't know. And that's something that I think a lot of us wrestle with. And it's especially fraught and confusing for someone like you who's literally in the situation it's yeah. it's you're much closer to it it's not as much of a you know an intellectual exercise as it might be for other people but you know i've over the years have kind of moved away from let's leave let's let sleeping dogs lie to we have to tell people the truth they have to and it, it's this very odd thing that the these cultures of these institutionalized labor and delivery units that what goes on behind those doors is never going to be public knowledge unless people come forward. And how can patients come forward if they're not, again, even informed? Uh, you know, I'm not even talking about informed consent, which is a whole nother rat's nest. You know, what is informed consent in a labor and delivery unit versus what is <laughs> happening? But even just, yeah, like you said, educating and, and telling women what can happen and what is happening to their bodies. When I was a brand new I was a brand new nurse putting in a catheter, a urinary catheter. This woman happened to have three urethral openings, which can happen. Um, It happens on men, you know, everything does, it's all the same tissue. And sometimes things don't close up quite way, you know, how they're supposed to. Um, One was blind, one was small, and then there was a main urethra. Um, So I had inserted it into the blind one first didn't go. I got a new catheter kit, tried again, um, got a little re- return, but I didn't feel like it was right. Called in my um, charge nurse. Again, I was a brand new nurse and she's the one, you know, she assisted me um, and we put it in finally the third hole, which happened to be, you know, the main one. Um, luckily this patient had an epidural, so couldn't feel all of this, but I was narrating and talking this through with her and she was so appreciative. And when we left the room, my charge nurse, my 
at the time, um, you know, said, you know, it really wasn't appropriate for you to tell the patient that it can make people nervous, you know, this and that. And, and it was, and that, that kind of attitude has just been still so evident throughout my career that women don't have a right to know what's going on with their bodies. This was a wonderful example because this woman, you know, later on in labor, we're just, we're chatting. She's comfortable. And she says, I'm so glad you know, nobody's ever told me that. I never would have the reason to. This is her first baby. But I get a lot of UTIs. And I'm wondering if this is why. And I'm like, absolutely, this could be why. You should probably see a urologist or talk to your, you know, your primary and, and see what they think. Um, and we can even talk to the OB, you know, when they come on later. And she was, she was just so grateful. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, let's just, you know, step back for a moment. And think about the fact that we're having a discussion about whether or not it is appropriate to inform a woman about what is going on with her body in her health care. If she can be trusted with that information, uh, if she, if we're not going to scare her too much about information about her own body. It's this is where I'm a little hesitant to watch The Handmaid's Tale. It's kind of... Uh, too close to home? Some of the things I'm hearing about, you know, that series already are very real life, again, in hospital birth. <laughs> it's, uh, maybe I should watch it. I don't know. You're listening to WLXU 93.9 LPFM Lexington, Lexington Community Radio. And this is Birth Aloud with Kristen Piscucci. We are back with Nurse Brittany, who is telling us about what happened when she reported witnessing a physician ripping a woman's vagina with his hands and lying to her about how she tore. So the the lady who conducted my exit interview, after all is said and done, and I'm thinking, oh my God, this this poor woman has to hear all of this. Um, And she sounds distressed at points, you know, clarifying and at the end, she just, she took a breath and she said, you know, do you have any uh, final thoughts or anything you'd like to share in regards to, you know, your, your interview? And I said, no, I think we pretty much covered it. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm so sorry you had to hear this. And uh, she took a big breath and again, and said, no, um, well, hang on. And she, you know, said the spiel that says, well, this concludes your exit interview, blah, blah, blah. Just know that this information will be disseminated to your institution. Um, it will go to your um, specific unit, blah, blah, blah. And then probably one of the bigger sighs I've heard in my life. And she said, I am so glad I was the one to call you today. I don't have kids trying to have kids. I had no idea that this sort of stuff happens. And I, and, you know, and I wanted to reassure her and say, you know, this isn't, this doesn't happen. And maybe, you know, and, and I don't know what the prevalence is because we don't talk about it because nurses are silenced, because the cultures say, well, you know, like you said, it's just part of it. Again, this misogynistic history of obstetrical care and this vilifying of midwifery and, um, and this lack of trust in education and women's bodies and functioning as they normally are supposed to do. And their brains. And their brains. That they can, that they can handle information about themselves and make their own healthcare decisions. Right, right. And, um, you know, but I couldn't, I, I couldn't reassure her. I, I couldn't say, 
that this isn't going to happen to you. I said, well, you know, it's, it's important for us to know a lot about our bodies and what they're capable of. And, um, you know, just really make sure you know your rights and that you pick a provider that you trust and that you can, that listens to you and you can have a conversation with, and that takes the time to hear you. Um, I said, that's really one of the first steps. And, and, and you should look at, you know, your birth setting, like, where are you going to give birth? What are their policies? Which is a whole nother rat's nest. Uh, you know, the way policies, <laughs> institutions protect the institution sometimes. And, and she goes, I just, I am so glad I talked to you. And I said, and if, you know, if it's appropriate to you, you might want to look into midwife or, you know, a midwife or make sure you have continuous labor support. Um, there's doulas. If you don't have somebody in your life, you know, that can provide that for you. And she was just so grateful. And I, um, and that's where it's a little reassuring and a little validating to be coming out and trying to do more than just reporting and working within the system. I cannot believe that we've gotten this far without any nurses trying to work within the system. And clearly it's hard to succeed. Uh, this has been going on for nine months now. Um, and I still really haven't gotten any, any indication that there's any consequences for this provider. You just made me think of something when you said that. I guess I just want to say like here on the air that there's an open invitation for any nurses who want to contact me about what they've seen and I'm happy to, what they've witnessed and I'm happy to talk with you and see what we can do about it. I, I hope you don't hear from too many because I hope it's not <laughs> that bad, but I, I, I expect you will. And thank you to anybody that's kind of navigating this road. It's important. I um, I did want to say, because it was something we haven't had a chance, we haven't gotten to, but, um, you know, you, you told me, you know, not, not while we were recording, you had mentioned, you know, how there were some really great nurses who went out of their way to do what they could for their patients to kind of run interference yeah. with providers who they knew, who they know are practicing not evidence-based, unsafe, harmful, disrespectful care. And, you know, I just want to make sure that we are, you know, have a chance to say that. And is there anything that you would want to say to any nurses who are listening to this, who are kind of having those doubts about yeah. what, you know, do I come forward? Do I, you know, do I put my, put myself on the line, put my neck on the line here? Absolutely. I mean, I guess it really depends on, um, you know, where are you practicing and, and what's your experience level and what the culture is. It's, I can't imagine coming in as a newer nurse and being trained in this setting and being kind of normalized to the brutality of it. I would imagine newer nurses might find this especially difficult to navigate as they don't have the experience to kind of back them up and kind of like, oh, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to call the doctor until I know, man, this baby's coming out right now. Cause if this doctor comes and they're sitting around for 20 minutes, they're not going to sit on their hands. They're going to rip the woman open because they want to go home. So that's the sort of interference I'm talking about. But a newer nurse isn't going to have that experience to make that judgment. Ooh, you know, when do I call? You know, because we get in trouble for nurse deliveries. It's yeah, as the Car Caroline Malatesta case illustrated so beautifully. Absolutely. But then I've also seen patients come in ready to drop the baby out because they want a nurse delivery because they've had them and they've had OB deliveries and they want a nurse delivery. Um, so to all the nurses out there I I guess know your rights too um it's hard because state to state and you know 
how, I don't know, it's, it's exhausting to try and navigate this system between protecting your own practice and protecting the patients at the same time. And then also just showing up for your job still and your, in, in your life, your family. Um, would you say I you're traumatized by it? I would abs, I would abs, absolutely say, um, yes. It's been very difficult for me not to talk about this with some, you know, trusted people. <laughs> Thank you for your time also. Um, I also did seek some professional help um, kind of working through this as well, uh, which was validating. And I do want to say also at my new facility, I received so many resources because I felt that it was important to notify risk management that I was still involved with this ethical complaint because the new facility I was coming into, you know, it isn't a union facility. I just wanted to be very authentic and Instead of looking at me like a risk, I was provided with additional reporting resources, which I did follow up with, including reporting this provider to the California Medical Board, um, LA County DHSS, which is some of our social services. I have also been offered legal resources. Training nurses that are witnessing assaultive practices, I, I encourage you to have your own professional liability insurance, even if your hospital carries insurance or you have a union. Just so there's somebody looking out for you while you try to look out for these mothers and just always remembering, you know, it's so easy to become apathetic when you're banging your head against these institutional walls and feeling powerless. So if you're of the mind, I encourage you to go and get your advanced practice degree, look into midwifery, um, look into getting involved in some shared governance on your units, policies, well, Brittany, I would, I would love to yeah. see, you know, I, I wish 500 nurses would contact me with stories like yours. Um, I can only imagine how quickly things would change if nurses stood up together in an organized form. There's so much nurse trauma out there related to what they are having to witness and participate in. And I know that for a fact, I have spoken with these nurses. It's heartbreaking to think that everyone is going through this trauma, the patients and, and many nurses because of this hierarchy, this culture of silence and who are we protecting? We're not protecting the right people here. No. I mean, what's your job as a nurse? I always to, you know, make sure that the patient is, in their optimal state of wellness and, and protected uh, from harm, you know, whether that's harm from infection through unsafe, you know, IV starts all the way to this, this, this assault, somebody coming in and physically assaulting you during your most vulnerable and powerful life, one of your most vulnerable and powerful life experiences, the birth of a child. I mean, you don't get that back. And some of these women do come out feeling victimized and traumatized. And some of them don't even know because they have epidurals and they're positioned in lithotomy and they don't even know, they don't know they're assaulted. They don't know that there is better. You know, there's a breakdown in birth rights education and, and just education on what our bodies are supposed to do during labor and childbirth. And it's hard for nurses too. You know, you have three patients, 
staffing ratios are not what they should be. Even the, even the best staffing ratios in California, um, you know, still leave women at, at the mercy of convenience and institutional factory setting type birth, you know, where the nurses are, uh, again, also a victim of the system, getting the patients in, getting them out, get them delivered, yeah. get them, we need the room. <laughs> you yeah. know, laboring and birthing and triage. We're just, we're failing. We're failing our mothers terribly. Um, well, and that, and that's, that can feel very overwhelming. And, you know, I feel like there are a lot of feelings of helplessness associated with that. And I'm familiar with those feelings a little bit from advocacy work. And I do know that the one thing that I always kind of cling to is like when you can't change the situation around you or you feel so powerless about it, the one thing you can do is take care of yourself so that you are as strong as you can possibly be so that you can keep going and keep working and keep advocating and keep going another day. I, I noticed earlier in our talk that you, you mentioned that you had, you know, replayed this in your head over and over again, what you saw with this, with this woman's birth and what the doctor did to her. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. I, um, actually that was, so I've only seen, um, somebody once, you know, professionally for some assistance in coping with this. And it, my goal has really been to try to change the mindset of what I'm seeing. Um, you know, I have obviously in reporting this and trying to ensure that it stops happening, at least at this facility, or at least with this provider, I've been talking about it to a lot of people. And every time I do, I just, envision the actual assault and the vision of the immediate aftermath of what, you know, this woman's flesh looked like. Um, and that's, that's, that's what it felt like he treated it as just flesh. It's just, well, it's just flesh. There's not a body or a person or emotions or anybody attached to this flesh. So really trying to acknowledge that image and then move on from it and not sort of let it dwell and replay. And because every time it dwells and replays, I, I feel the physical feeling that I felt when it happened, which, you know, I can only imagine for other people with trauma, you know, how that plays out for them repeatedly and how that affects their postpartum experience. Yeah. Uh, my gosh, when you're trying to keep another, you know, another life alive with your body still and yet you know you're recovering from this trauma or trying to process it and and really there's not much um recourse for patients as well uh you know it's very few and far between that somebody finds a lawyer that one has any idea about what to do with a case like this and two is willing to go to bat and and knows how to navigate the system and sees the worth in it and then two to actually just continue to re-traumatize yourself as you try to address it is hard too. For anybody, you know, who's thinking about something over and over, replaying it in your head, you know, that's definitely an indication that you're in a stuck place emotionally, yeah. um, which means that it's like some healthy processing is not happening. Right. And that is something that needs attention. It's it, not, it's not something that you can just ignore and, it's not one of those things where like time heals all wounds. No, it's not. And again, I think I mentioned this was going on for 
quite a while. Um, and yeah, and I'm still trying to make sure that I balance coping for myself and, and still getting this done because there's a sense of urgency, you know, every day is, is there another woman being assaulted by, by this provider? If I, if I have more energy, am I going to fix this? You know, so there's always these, you know, and then I'm ignoring my family's so guilt all around. Right. We're great at that women. We are. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah for your support to um, Kristen. And I, I would recommend that to anybody either going through this or going through reporting it, um, surround yourself with people <laughs> who support you. It's, it's, uh, it's a validation I think is important in this particular, you know, when you're trying to navigate this. Yeah, yeah. Because it has become so normalized in the units. So you can feel a little crazy <laughs> when people don't respond the way you kind of expect uh, to, to sharing, you know, that this assault is happening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you can trust that there's a supportive community with, with birth monopoly and with me. There absolutely so. is. And, um, you know, I don't want to threaten any of these institutions, uh, but you know, change is coming whether they want it to or not. And this is, this is part of it. People speaking up, you know, and so I, one to encourage them are you going to be on the right side of history or not because that is the question we deserve better and 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 i'm I'm hoping that i'm seeing a trend of we are going to demand better we have a right to it well Brittany, you're you're blazing that trail so thank you thank you very 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 much and i know you probably don't know this but i'll bet you there are dozens of women who will listen to this and be be very emotional about hearing a nurse standing up for a patient. That means a lot to a lot of people. So thank you. If nothing ever comes of your complaint with this specific case, just know that I think that's gonna be very healing for a lot of people. Thank you. I, um, <laughs> I wanna point out too, I had been actually asked in my professional thing, well, what, what, what do you think you should have done? Uh, you know, my gut response is, well, I should have karate chopped his hand, but, um, it just, you know, these things happen so fast. So um, if you are out there and doing everything you can to protect your patients, I applaud you. And, um, you know, if you aren't, I also get it. I, I, I get being beaten down and um, I encourage you to branch out <laughs> and find some resources there. <laughs> um, and, you know, and remember that there, there is a woman on the other end of this and, and her birth journey can dictate a significant portion of her life, whether that's the immediate postpartum, long-term, or her entire life and her children's life. So just remembering that there's a, a woman on the, on the other side of that vagina and that perineum that we're very assaulted towards in many instances is important. Thank you. And I would reiterate to those people that change is coming. So if you do feel like you don't have support or you're not able or ready to come forward, just know that things are changing and circumstances are changing, culture is changing. And um, whether that is something you like to hear or don't like to hear, it is coming. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you. This has been Birth Aloud with Kristen Piscucci. If you'd like to reach me with questions or show ideas or anything else, you can email me at birthaloudradio at gmail.com. 
Thanks for being here with us. We'll be back every other Sunday at 1 p.m. on WLXU. We'll see you next time.